Another full house, and I want to say thank you to those of you who are streaming with us today, and good morning to those of you in the overflow room. So I just went back and talked to the people in our overflow room. It is maxed out. There's no room left. Um, and I pledged to them, listen, we're going to tear down this wall and expand that sanctuary because God is at work here. Trump's going to build a wall. We're going to tear one down because God is moving here. And it's time to make room for people to come and understand what God is doing at our church. I'm so glad you're here. My name's Christian. If it's your first time here, I'm one of the pastors. Um, We're grateful to have you worshiping with us today. You know, the other day I got stuck on an airplane. And here's what I mean by, by stuck on an airplane. I was flying from one city to another. I can't remember where it was. And I was sitting in a window seat, um, and there was a big guy sitting in the aisle seat on my aisle who had a few drinks before the plane even took off and fell hard asleep. And I was stuck. It was like, there is no getting out of this seat until this plane lands and he gets off. So I had a sheer boredom. I'm, you know, I had my little Diet Coke, and I'm sitting looking at my Southwest airline napkin. And I turned it over, and it had, you know, like a it has the United States of America on it. And I start kind of drawing on my napkin and, you know, I color in Ohio where I was born and raised. And then, you know, I went down and made some lines on Virginia, just kind of doodling and then Kansas and Missouri where I've been. And I thought, I wonder how many states like I've actually been to. So I started just kind of putting X's in all the states. And by the time I got done, I thought, man, I've been in 41 of the 50 states. And like I've done ministry in more than 30 of them. Um, I thought, man, God's like been really good to allow me to see a lot of America. And I took the napkin, I flipped it over. I thought, I wonder how many countries that I've been to. And I started writing down the name of the countries and I got done. I thought, man, there's 14 countries I've done mission work in around the world. And here's, here's why I think that surprised me sitting on the plane that day. I didn't fly in an airplane until I was 20. Um, like I didn't grow up traveling around the world. All, all, all of that was since I started doing ministry and God allowed me to start going um, and seeing places and telling people about Jesus. Now, we traveled when I was younger, growing up in southern Ohio. Every year for 17 years, we traveled in vacation to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, myself and my family. There we are one year. That is just an awful picture. Um, you can guess which one is me. I'm so skinny there. Um, but that's, that's me and my little sister Marie and my mom and dad. I'm not sure where my older sister is. I don't know if she didn't make it in the picture. We're having like a back to the future moment. We'll all be gone by the end of the sermon. Um, but every year for 17 years, um, same thing, right? Like dad would come home from work. He would sleep from like 5 till 10 p.m., He would wake up at 10 p.m., we'd load the car, and and about 11 or midnight, we would leave, and we would all sleep in the car. You can take the picture down now. It's very distracting. Uh, We would all sleep in the car all the way to Myrtle Beach while Dad would drive, and then we would pull up and have breakfast. We did it every year for 17 years like clockwork. Um, And the trip became such an important fabric uh, of my life growing up that not just the destination of Myrtle Beach, but the gas stations, the rest stops, the hotels we would hit on the way home, like the places between where we started and where we finished became as important and as much a part of the trip as the trip itself in the final destination. And I'm finding out even now as I travel, um, I try to connect when I'm on airplanes to certain places. I mean, I know every plane has to stop and refill and there are airports between where I am and where I want to be that I want to go to because they are the best places to refill. Um, like the airport in, in Qatar has like the greatest coffee shop you could ever want to be at after you've flown on a plane for 20 hours. Uh, if you're going from Kansas City to anywhere in Europe, you want to try to stop in Frankfurt, Germany if you can, because they got the best breakfast spot like of any airport that I've ever been to. Like I, in all my connecting cities now, I know where I'm going to go to refill because nobody plans a trip 
without knowing where you need to stop and refill to get there. My guess is if you ever travel to a vacation destination or you travel home, you usually stop at the same gas stations, same restaurants, um, same rest stops. It's the place where you stop to make sure you can make it all the way. And you know what? Nobody plans a trip without knowing when and where to refill, except Christians who are trying to live for God. And year after year, we start out in January, planning to have the best spiritual journey of our life that we've ever had. And by the time we get to the end of the month, we are totally out of gas because we have not stopped often and at a good place to refill. Let me ask you a question. We are, we are full four weeks into 2017. Yesterday was 28 days into 2017. How you doing spiritually? How you feeling spiritually? Has the new car smell kind of already worn off the spiritual goals that you've set and some of the spiritual habits that you started? Maybe you're looking at 2017 as we get ready to end January and to move into February and you're thinking, man, 11 months left. I just don't know that I'm going to make it spiritually again this year because your life looks like what I read last week. I read a poem last week titled The 23rd Psalm Revisited that I had so many people come up to me after church and speak about that I decided to read it again. I mean, I, I read it and people said, man, that thing you read, that sounds like my life. I put it on the screen this week so you can follow along as I read it. It goes like this. The clock is my dictator. I shall not rest. It makes me lie down only when I'm exhausted. It leads me into deep depression and it hounds my soul. It leads me in circles of frenzy for activity's sake. Even though I run frantically from task to task, I'll never get it all done for my ideal is with me. Deadlines and my need for approval, they drive me. They demand performance for me beyond the limits of my schedule. They anoint my head with migraines, my in-basket overflows. Surely fatigue and time pressure shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the bonds of frustration forever. If that's what your life feels like as we started 2017, I've got good news. That's not the real 23rd Psalm. Like if that's what your life feels like trying to live a life where Jesus is involved in it, you need to know that's not what God says your life should look like. So I want to show you today the real 23rd Psalm. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn to Psalm 23. It's kind of in the middle of your Old Testament. If you don't have a Bible, every Sunday we've got Bibles that you can have kind of at the back usher's desk. So if you ever don't have a Bible, the two little tables when you walk in, you can grab one and keep it. That's our gift to you. Um, and you can always fire up our Journey Church International app. Everything that's on the screen will be built into that, hopefully except that picture of me on vacation because I, I don't want that showing up on your social um, media. But as we look at the 23rd Psalm, here's what we learn. If, you, if you've set a goal this year to get healthy emotionally and to get healthy spiritually, like if it's your goal to have it more together this year than last year, if, if you have a goal, maybe you finally got there and you have a goal this year to stay there. You have a goal this year not to tank physically and emotionally and relationally. So I, I want to stay healthy this year. If you've set a goal to get there or you have a goal to stay there, Psalm 23 is the secret to seeing it happen, um, and it's an incredible psalm. We'll read it together, only six verses. Here's what it says. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house 
of the Lord forever. You know, it's an unbelievable six verses that maybe you've heard at some point in your life. But to really understand the picture of emotional health, like to understand how your life looks like this, there's three things about this psalm that you need to understand this morning. The first is this. You need to understand some things about the shepherd and the sheep. Because this song is written from the perspective of a sheep who's following a shepherd. The 23rd Psalm is a picture of what's supposed to happen when a Christian spends time with Jesus along their faith journey. So let's stop and ask a question. How many days last week did you stop and spend time with Jesus? How many days this month have you stopped to spend time with Jesus. Let's flash back to 2016. Take a rough estimate. Put it in percentage numbers. What percentage of, of days last year did you stop to spend time with Jesus? Because we read this psalm and a lot of people say, man, I love Jesus, but my, my soul doesn't look like that. And I would say it's because your schedule doesn't look like that. You never stop to spend time with the shepherd. Let me ask you a question. Looking at it through the lens of a shepherd and sheep, How long would we suppose that a sheep would survive without a shepherd? I mean, not a week, right? Nobody would think a sheep could survive a week in the wilderness without a shepherd. Three days? Two days? One day if it was hidden really well? Yet Christians following Jesus think we can live in a world with similar spiritual dangers and we just kind of prance around and have everything taken care of without ever spending time with our shepherd, it doesn't work. You see, what Psalm 23 is teaching us is that spending daily time with God recharges our soul. It recharges our emotional health. The psalmist says, when I follow the shepherd, my soul gets re-energized. It gets recharged if you have the right perspective. Now, there's some people in here spending time with God, it only wears them out more. It's just another task in this never-ending list of life, and it's like it gives you anxiety thinking about reading your Bible, thinking about trying to pray, thinking about memorizing Scripture, because it's just another task that you think you have to do to earn God's favor. It's another task you've been told to do if you want to earn a blessing. It's something as a Christian you feel responsible to do, but you're looking at it from the wrong perspective. You know living for God is unnecessary to earn His unconditional love? Do you know whether you read your Bible every day this week or no days this week, God loves you the exact same? And you don't get bonus points in God's love because you do things for him? You know, it's impossible to maintain over a lifetime a thought of trying to live for God and earn everything that he's given us. So we don't spend time with God because we're trying to live for God. If our effort determines how much God loves us, all of us are in trouble because we'll always end up emotionally empty. However, if we look at it differently, if we don't look at spending time as living for God, but if we look at spending time with God as living from God, this changes things. You see, living from God is absolutely necessary to know him and be filled by his strength. If you look at like your Christian life, like your cell phone, spending time with God is not making a call that drains your phone. Spending time with God is like plugging it in at night so that it can recharge. Michelle's got this list of this, this bag of chargers that I carry with me every time I leave the country. Um, this bag of chargers allows me to charge myself and literally in any country in the world that has power, one of these will work to charge my cell phone. If there's a generator in the jungles of India, I'll be able to keep power in my phone with one of these things. I've got every adapter known to man and I don't leave home without it anymore. 
because one of the first times I went to Israel, my phone died. I didn't have the proper jack. And when you go about a day in a foreign country before your group is there and you don't speak the language um, and you don't know directions and you don't know even where you're going, it's an uncomfortable feeling not to have any battery left. And some of you exist for years without any spiritual battery life because you never plug into God on a daily basis. So when we spend time with Jesus, when we spend time with the shepherd, it's not doing anything for him. Instead, it's living from him. It's plugging into him so his power can come to us. Notice Jesus didn't say he was a cattle driver. You know, the Lord is my cattle driver. And he rides behind me on a horse with a whip and he whips me every time I get out of line. That's not what it says. It says the Lord is my shepherd. And he walks gently and slowly ahead of me and he expects me to follow. You see, Jesus asked his disciples to do what a shepherd expected the sheep to do, follow him. And then he promised that those who followed him would live their lives fully alive. That's our goal this year for our church. We said our 2017 theme this year is that we will live fully alive, having the greatest year we've ever had spiritually because Jesus promised it, but then he conditioned it. You say, what do you mean? Jesus said we could have this life if we lived a certain way. In John 10, 10, Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. I've come so you could live fully alive. Here's how it happens. I'm your shepherd, you're a sheep, you follow me, and I promise you, you can trust me where I will lead you. So finding emotional health is as simple as a picture of a sheep following a shepherd. But it's so much more than that. It's not just finding life through the shepherd. Number two, it's finding rest through following the shepherd. It's finding rest through following the shepherd. Let me ask you a question. How'd you sleep last night? How'd you sleep last night? How'd you sleep this week. Those of you in the overflow room, how'd you sleep last night? Those of you here, how'd you sleep last night? How's your soul doing? Not just physically, but are you at rest? Are you at peace with life and where you are right now? Because the Psalm promises if, if we'll spend time with Jesus, we'll find rest, spiritual and emotional rest for our souls. Let's read the 23rd Psalm again. It's only six verses. And this time read it Read it with a look at the promises that it offers you. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflow. Surely your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I've got to be honest with you. I wish I could spend an additional sermon just teaching in depth through the promises that we just read in Psalm 23. It's unbelievable what God says will happen to your soul if you follow the shepherd well. I've actually learned every time I bring a message to our church, I bring half of it. Uh, There literally is so much that I have to trim down to fit into three services that I I leave every Sunday wishing, man, I wish I could have preached like the Paul Harvey, the rest of that message, um, because it's so good. So we decided this year as a church to launch a podcast 
to kind of allow you to hear the rest of the message. We've launched a podcast called Activate. And if you go to the little purple button on your smartphone, the podcast button, and type in Activate in my name, Christian Newsom, there's an additional 20 minutes of teaching on the 23rd Psalm that I don't have time to get to today, but that is better than what I'll say today because I have more time to say it. Um, and every week, I'm going to record a podcast. After I finish my message, I'm going to report, record a podcast and say everything I wanted to say in my message, but I didn't have time for. So when you're driving to work or when you're driving home from church, you can kind of reflect and go a little deeper. So if you have a smartphone, if you do the podcast thing, I hope that you'll subscribe and every week catch a little more of the message than we're able to give. But today, we're just going to try to walk through quickly the seven promises of spending daily time with God. Psalm 23 says, when you spend time with the shepherd, here's what happens. And the promises are incredible. And I want to say this. If this isn't happening in your life, it can if you'll spend time with God. And if you're spending time with God and this isn't happening in your life, there might be something you need to change so that spending time with God becomes living from God and it fills you rather than living for God and it drains you. What does the psalmist promise us? Number one, rest. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. The psalmist says, if you spend time following the shepherd, he will every day make you rest a little bit so that you can keep going in the journey. Did you pause every day this week for 12 or 15 minutes to rest spiritually? Did you pause any day this week for 12 or 15 minutes to rest spiritually? The psalmist says, if you follow the shepherd, he'll make you rest so that you can make it long term. Promise number two, relaxation. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Do you know that sheep by nature are very anxious, frightened animals? Do you know that sheep won't drink from running water because they're scared of it? So when you read in the 23rd Psalm, the shepherd leads the sheep to quiet waters. He's not just leading them to something that will nourish their soul. He's leading them to something that will allow them to relax for a minute. Don't you need that every day? Like, don't you need a 15 or 20 minute period in your day where you just relax? You don't worry? You're not worried about a fish jumping up or biting your ear or whatever fish you're worried about in running water. You're not worried about a pebble coming downstream. He said, he leads me to quiet waters so that the sheep would just kind of zone out and just get nourished. That's what spending time with Jesus should do. Promise number three, refreshment for your soul. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Verse 3, he refreshes my soul. You should circle or underline those words if you have your Bible out. I mean, wouldn't you stand in line for that? Does anything sound better this week than that? Refreshment for your soul? I mean, every now and then when I'm really hungry and somebody talks about my favorite restaurant, like my taste buds will begin to water. When I hear a promise that my soul can be refreshed, like my soul begins to water, it's like, I, I want refreshment for my soul. We could list a hundred things that will drain us this week from our marriages to our kids to our jobs to our finances to our parents 
I mean, right, we could go on and on and on. About everything drains us. Psalm 23 says Jesus refreshes us. He fills us back up. Don't you need that? I do. Promise number four, direction and deflection. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. You see, we know when we spend time and follow Jesus that he teaches us how to live correctly. He leads us along the right paths. But the psalmist goes a step further and says he leads us along the right paths for his name's sake. When we live right, God looks good. How many of you know a Christian who's living in a way that does not make God seem attractive to our world? Maybe I should rephrase it. How many of you know someone claiming to be a Christian who lives in a way that doesn't make Jesus look attractive? See, the psalmist says, when I spend time with God, it shapes my life in a way that's right for me, and it actually makes people think well of God as well. It deflects the attention to him. Like Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16, when he said, you're, you're the light of the world. He said, live your life in a way that people, when they see you, they glorify me. You, we all have people in our life that when we think about them, we think, man, thank God for them. We see them, but we think about God when we see them because of the way they live their life. Promise number five, comfort. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Several years ago, I was flying from Amman, Jordan to Tel Aviv. After flying halfway around the world, I'd been in India for a missions trip, and then I was flying back to Israel. I'd been on an airplane for more than 40 hours. And when I got to Amman, they said, sir, we're going to bump you up to first class for your trip to Tel Aviv. And I said, thank you. That's awesome. And they said, yeah, it's a 12-minute flight. And I thought, well, you know, I'll, I mean, I'll take it. It literally is a 12-minute flight across the Jordan River, across Jerusalem, and down into Tel Aviv. So for this 12-minute flight, I'm sitting first class flying from Amman, Jordan, to Tel Aviv. I'm sitting with a guy who's been to Israel 18 times, who's leading me on my first trip. And as we cross the Jordan River, um, he kind of knocks on my window and he says, there's the valley of death. And I said, what? And he said, there's the valley of death. And I said, what? Like, what's the valley of death? And he said, you know, the 23rd Psalm, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He was like, that's, that's, that's a physical place. It's right there. There's a road that runs from Jerusalem to Jericho, and there's kind of a cavernous way to get there through the mountains. And he said, that is what was referred to in David's time as the valley of death. And David was basically saying, even when I go from a safe place to a safe place, in between those two places, I'm safe because you're with me. He said, you know, that's where Jesus was tempted about a thousand years later. Jesus would be tempted in the shadow of the valley of death, but he wasn't afraid. Why? Because he learned that God was with him there. You know, this week our city kind of mourned the the Royals fans the death of Giordano Ventura, who we found out who had, had died last week while we were having church. And I don't know if any of you got to listen to any of the radio interviews or watch the funeral in the Dominican from the Dominican Republic on Tuesday. But at every place they stopped, there was a prayer said. There was a hymn sung. There were some Bible verses read. There was a pastor who spoke. And right in the midst of this tragedy, this dark, dark valley, there was this hope because God was there. That's the promise of comfort that's given to us. Promise number six, discipline and protection. 
The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You know, there's a difference between a rod and a staff. I break it down much more in our podcast this week, but the reality is a staff protected the sheep from going someplace that was going to be dangerous for them. The rod disciplined them when they were already there and they needed to come back. So sometimes we spend time with God and we learn things that protect us. We learn where not to go. We learn what not to do before we get there. And sometimes we spend time with God and we learn we're in the wrong place and we need to get out quick. And sometimes we learn that life experiences are creating consequences for us that are disciplined for our decisions. And, and it's discipline driving us back towards Jesus. And then promise number seven, life and purpose. David says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I'll fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. So David spent nearly seven years on the run from King Saul, who was trying to kill him because he was a threat to his throne in Israel. And David said, even when I lived every day on the run from someone who wanted to kill me, I was still able to sit down and eat meals with family, eat meals with friends. We see David with family and extended family while he's running from Saul. We see David living life in the midst of the worst circumstances ever. He said, there's time to pause and be thankful for what I have. And then David said, I have purpose. When he said, you anoint my head with oil, Samuel came and anointed him as king of Israel. That was his purpose in life. David was basically saying, God, you've given me life and you've given me a reason to live life. This is my purpose for you. These happen as we spend time with God. David was anointed king, but not before he was a shepherd. Some of you have been reading through our Bible reading plan with us this year. We just kind of rolled into Exodus. Did you notice in Genesis that almost everyone's a shepherd? Like all the great men of God in the Old Testament, like most of them were shepherds. Abel, Adam and Eve's son, he was a shepherd. Noah, he was a shepherd. Abraham was a shepherd. We're not sure about his son Isaac, but Isaac's wife, Rebecca, we're told she was a shepherd. Um, Jacob, Abraham's grandson, and his favorite son, Joseph, they were both shepherds. Moses was a shepherd. And David was a shepherd. And there was something about God using shepherds because they both knew how to protect and lead people. But there was something in being a shepherd that taught you how to follow. Have you ever watched a shepherd at work? If you live in America, the answer is probably no, because I've, I've never seen one here like actively working. But I had the opportunity to see this several years ago, leading a group in Israel. We were at an ancient city called Beit Shan. It's one of the 10 cities of the Decapolis that's been uncovered, one of the largest first century cities uncovered in Israel that you can see there and you can go tour it. You can see the people down on the road to see the size of this city. And at the end of Beit Shan is Mount Gilboa. It's a massive hill that has all kind of Old Testament significance. Probably the biggest is that King Saul and his sons were killed at a battle near Mount Gilboa and their bodies were were hung on the wall outside of the city. So we had our group up there and I was teaching through the, the battle with the Philistines and Saul and Jonathan and his son. And as I was doing this, you can kind of see in, in the valley there kind of a gray little patch. It was just kind of like a rocky little road up there. And we saw a kid walking, walking on the road with his dog, but he had a stick. 
And he had like on a little bandana and a towel going down the back of his head. And we look and we're like, that guy looks like a shepherd. And his little dog, sure enough, looked like a sheepdog. He was just walking all by himself through this little valley. And every now and then he would like give a little call and a little whistle. Hey, 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 you know, you know, whistle for, for what I thought was his dog. We thought, what's he doing? He was just kind of walking through this little area. And then we realized a couple hundred feet behind him, here comes this little sheep. And then two and then 10 and then 20 and then 50. And we stopped our Bible lesson and we all just stood on the hill and we watched this shepherd leading his sheep through these ravines and through this thing. We thought, where is he going? And on the other side of Mount Gilboa, wrapped all the way around, there was this little stream that ran through and there was this pocket in the stream that had been dammed up like a tree had fallen across where there was no water. And the shepherd went and he sat down on the rock. The dog sat beside him. And one by one for 10 minutes, these sheep just started coming until they had all gotten a drink and were just laying down beside him there. We're like, that's unbelievable. Watching these sheep follow this shepherd. But here's, looking back on it, what I found interesting. You know, the last probably dozen or so sheep that came, they came so long after the shepherd had walked through that they weren't following the shepherd, they were following the other sheep. And here's what I want to say to you. If you're in here and you teach in our nursery and preschool, our kids' ministry and our students, I want you to know how grateful I am to you. Because those kids aren't old enough to follow the shepherd yet. They're following sheep. But if you're following the shepherd, they're going to get there too. I want to thank those of you who are teachers, who are coaches, who are principals and school administrators, cafeteria workers, bus drivers, rec league coaches. I want to thank those of you who are leading people because the people you're leading, not necessarily all of them aren't following the shepherd. But if you are following the shepherd and they're following you, they're going to get there. And I want to challenge those of you who are parents. The only way our kids are really ever going to find the shepherd probably is if they follow us to him. If they have to do it another way, it'll be a much more difficult experience from 13 to whenever they find him. But if as parents, if we follow the shepherd and our kids follow us, guess what? We all end up at the same place together. And what is that place? Psalm 23, 2 and 3, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. You know, in a year of pursuing spiritual health, to me, this sounds like the bullseye. Rest, relaxation, refreshment. And what we find as we pursue Jesus is that private spiritual moments lead to personal spiritual maturity. It's not the sermons you hear, but the intimate moments you have with Jesus that build emotional health in your spirit. And the more mature your spirit becomes, the more emotional health you'll have. But in order to have this, you have to find number three, a spiritual filling station. You have to find a place, like when you're going on vacation and one tank of gas won't get you there, you have to find a place where you can stop and fill up if you ever want to get to the destination. You know, in, in church world, not all of you grew up in church. Some of you here are not even Christians. I'm so glad you're here. I hope you're learning something that encourages your heart and shows you something about Christianity. But in the church world, we talk about people doing devotions. You're like, what's a devotion? A devotion is not a what. A devotion is when. The word devotion means a devoted time. It's actually not what you do. It's when you do it. Devotions means a devoted time. It's a devoted time that you spend with God in the midst of your day. It's intentional, devoted time. And it's time, according to Psalm 23, 2, where God makes you lie 
down in green pastures. It's time where God makes you stop. Why? So you can rest? So you can relax? So you can refresh? It's time God allows you to stop. Why? So you can be comforted? So you can have direction? So you can have protection? So you can enjoy your life? The question that I want you to ask today is, how do you find your green pasture? The psalmist says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. And then once we stop, God does all this. Let me ask you a question. Where's your green pasture? As we close today, I want to give you four practical tips for finding your green pasture. Because I believe this is really important to you staying filled up spiritually. How do we find our green pasture? Number one, you've got to find your place. You've got to find your place. So when I started putting this message together, I, I sent a text message to our staff and I said, you got five minutes, go. Where do you spend time with God? And I knew all of them would instantly be able to tell me because it was only one place and it was the same place and it was a consistent place. Because anyone I know who spends good time with God has a place where they do it. This is mine. Literally, this is mine. Not this stage, but this chair. I pulled it out of my living room last night and brought it on the stage. This is my end table. This is my lamp. Danielle showed up and she said, what in God's name did you do? Why'd you take all the furniture out of the house? I said, I wanted to show people my place. This is my place. This is where I meet with God. Literally, like this, the only thing that's missing is my dog. My dog, Rudy, usually sits right beside me. I balance my Bible on his head while I read. Jesus had a sheep. I got a dog. It's just how it works. Like Rudy... He and I read the Bible together every day. We spend time with God. You got to find your place. Where's your place? Those of you in here who spend intentional time with God, like you, you immediately know your place. You could get your place and you could bring it here. My staff said my kitchen table, my kitchen counter, uh, our guest bedroom down in my office in a chair in the corner of my room. They all know where their place is because they literally have a place that like Moses is holy ground. They, like they look at it and they think that's where I meet with God. That's what that place has become. I should preach from a recliner more often because this is the most comfortable posture I've ever been in preaching. <laughs> you know, in the first century, rabbis taught down. So like, this is probably how Jesus taught. And it makes a lot of sense now that I'm here today. But you, you, gotta, you gotta find your place. <laughs> Secondly, I'm just gonna stay here. You gotta have a plan. <laughs> Secondly, you gotta have a plan. So we as a church have worked hard to give you a plan. The Bible is not meant to be read like any other book, just opening it to a random page and reading it. It doesn't make sense that way. You've got to have a plan that teaches you. So we hand out these Bible reading plans. And we say, read your Bible in this order or an order like this. So you can go on the Bible app and get hundreds of different types of Bible plans. Have a plan that you read. I also think that everyone should have a life plan. I've put this in your bulletin. I gave this to our staff in December because it's my job to help our staff follow the shepherd well. And I said, guys, two things everyone on our staff is going to do this year. We're going to live intentionally, and we're going to live with accountability. So I want everyone to shape your goals so that in 2017, you personally develop the way you want to, your spiritual goals, your family goals, your relationship goals, your career, school goals, your um, goals in your mindset, your mentality, your physical goals, your financial goals. And then two weeks ago, our staff came, and we all shared these with each other and said, here's how I want to live my life. Will you help hold me accountable? Will you ask me questions every now and then? Have a plan that lets you know how to live your life um, for Jesus. Number three, you need to have set times. Uh, and I put times because you might meet with God one day at a different time than another day. But when I ask people, hey, when do you spend time with God? And they say, whenever I get a free moment, I know that means never. Because we don't have free moments. They're not built into this American culture. 
So everyone I know who spends time with God, they have a set time and a set place and a set plan um, where they do that. And then number four, you should have good tools. You should have good study tools that teach you. I never read my Bible without having a good study Bible. That's this big, thick Bible that I have up here. I've read through about 15 of these the last 15 years. I try to read the Bible through um, every year. I underline every word as I read it. And you know what? There are most, most days I read the Bible, there's something I don't understand. And I've got a bachelor's degree and two master's degrees in, in this stuff. And every day I read something and I think, I don't know what that means. So I read a Bible that has study notes in it. I read a Bible that has articles in it because it answers those questions and it helps me understand the things that I don't know. So I've put some of my favorite study Bibles on your sermon notes. This is one of my favorite. I bought it for all of our elders last year, New Living Translation, Illustrated Study Bible, the MacArthur Study Bible is incredible. You can go pick one up at a local bookstore. They're all incredible, but you gotta have the right tools. I never read without a journal because I, as I read, I circle things that stick out to me. I think that's interesting. That's a good thought. That's a good promise. And then I'll take the best one or two and I'll put them in my journal. And sometimes I never read without note cards. Um, Sometimes I'll take the best promise and I'll put it on a note card and I'll just put it in my pocket and I'll keep it with me all day. And I'll try to just memorize and meditate on it. Never read without a pen and a highlighter. I mean, this this is my setup. I wear glasses now because I'm too old to see um, without glasses now that I'm getting ready to turn 39 next week. Um, This is my place. This is... This is where I meet with God. This, is, this literally is my green pasture. Everything but my dog. This is what it looks like. You say, what do you do in that place? I rest. I relax. I get refreshed. I get comforted after hard days. I get direction when I don't know what to do. I learn deflection. I get protection. It's like I was going to do that, but after spending time with God, I don't think I should. Sometimes I get disciplined. Because God's like, I told you not to do that, and you did. Now you're facing the consequences. It's my place. It's my green pasture. And the reality is this. There's no one in this room today or in our overflow room or who's streaming who this will be the church the rest of their life, most likely, including me and my family. Just It's very rare that someone would be at one church their entire life. So one day God will move you to a different place for a different season. And if the only thing you have learned at our church is how to find a green pasture and connect with Jesus, I have done my job. You see, it's more important to me as a pastor that you learn how to connect with Jesus and you learn how to connect with Journey. Because Journey can't promise you rest, relaxation, refreshment, comfort. We're not there for all that. But the shepherd is. And if you can learn to find your green pasture and if you can stop to rest with the shepherd, you're gonna experience heaven's power. It'll recharge you every day. You're going to experience heaven's refreshment. You can drink from it every day without having to kind of fear what's around you. You can be fully alive. Following the shepherd doesn't just lead to life, at least to the best life, at least to a full life. But you have to apply the things you've learned. Would you pray with me?